God's Word, man. So grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Open up to the book of 1 John. It's kind of in the sticky pages in the back that might be clung together a little bit. Just before Revelation, just back it up a little bit. You'll pass Jude, and then you'll hit 1 John if you're going backwards. If you're going backwards. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. I have no idea what page it's on in that Bible, but you can look it up for yourselves. Don't be ashamed to use the index. Don't be ashamed. 1 John chapter 3 will be in the first three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. When you get to 1 John chapter 3, say, we believe. We believe. All right, follow along and have your eyes on Scripture at the conclusion of the reading of the text. I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with? Awesome. 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, Pastor Jason is out preaching uh, at a youth event at NYC, so pray for him and his family. Uh, we have a guest speaker. So many of you guys probably know Mike Pollard. Um, he loves God, he loves God's Word, and he loves his church family. So can we please just welcome him with a round of applause and say thank you for filling in and teaching us about God's love. Father's Day. Let's see. All right, hey, we're on. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start my timer. Uh, I'm a preacher's kid, and I... Uh, my father was, uh, they used to call it long-winded. Um, I don't know what they call it now, but he had a way of taking a 20-minute sermon and turning it into an hour and a half, no problem. I'm not going to do that today. But good morning. Happy Father's Day to the dads. Most of you can tell that I am not Jason. We have a lot of things in common. We both married up. We both love shoes. Uh, we like tattoos. We're tall and thin. Uh, Seriously, he's a great order. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to sit under his teaching Sunday after Sunday, and I know you agree with that. I probably will get tongue-tied or cry somewhere during this talk this morning because I just, I'm weepy. Um, but one thing, Jason, and I do have in common is our love for Jesus and our belief that Jesus is still in the business of transforming lives, whether we're coming to faith or we're being transformed. It's all about Jesus from start to finish. Well, most of you may not know that um, I moved to Poplar Bluff in 2014. My wife and I moved to Poplar Bluff in 2014 on purpose. Um, I get that a lot. You mean you moved here on purpose? Yes, we did, on purpose. Uh, I came to faith late in life. I was 46 years old when I came to faith, although I was raised a preacher's kid. Um, it's been quite a journey ever since. Pam and I have been married for almost 34 years. Uh, we have three children from 21 to 33. We are empty nesters, and Lord, I love that. <laughs> But we are blessed even today to have our oldest, Justin, with us. And um, it's always good to have Justin home, but it's also good to have him here for Father's Day. When Jason uh, asked me a month or so ago to preach on Father's Day or to say something about Father's Day, um, it kind of really scared, scared me because I thought, man, I don't know if I've got enough experience 
to talk about being a father. I mean, honestly, guys, if, we're, if you're a dad, you can go through this journey and still don't know the answers. And I thought, well, that's, that's going to be tough. But then he switched it up a little bit. He said, well, I don't really want you to talk about being a father. I want you to talk about being a child. And I about quit. <laughs> but I think, I think there's some stuff in this passage this morning for us to look at in relation to who we are as a child. Um, the big idea for today is that Father's Day isn't about performance It's about being a child. So let's start by breaking verse 1 down. Verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And I think from that first passage we can see that a child believes. The passage is pretty clear. It says, See what kind of love... The Father has given us. And then it ends with, and so we are. And so who we are proclaims our belief. There are two things in this passage that really stood out to me. The first is God's love is extravagant. When you look at the phrase in this passage, it says, see what kind of love. When I read that, it immediately took me to John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world. You see the, the little tweak in the scripture that kind of places a little bit bigger emphasis on the love? See what kind of love. The author could have said, see the love, or for God loved the world. But I think he added those in there, those descriptors in there, to really amp up the love. And the love we're talking about here is is agape love. There's several kinds of love in the Bible. The love we're talking about is agape love. It's the strongest love. It's unconditional love. It's extravagant love. It's love that you don't earn. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here today. God does not merely love us. He is love. Everything God does flows out of his character, which is love. Love. Romans 5.8 demonstrates this. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you can't... Intellectually, we hear this all the time. I don't know that our hearts can really grasp that statement. While we were yet sinners, thousands of years ago, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's absolutely incredible. His love for us is established. Make no mistake about it. We didn't earn it. It was given to us freely. When John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't changed water to wine yet. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't done anything to deserve the love of his father. But because of who he was, he was already loved. He didn't do anything besides being Jesus. So when we feel like we're not good enough to be loved by God, 
we need to remember that God's love is greater than our doubts. We need to step out of the belief that we're unlovable so that we can hear God's voice. We need to step out of the the condemnation, our self-condemnation, that we are unlovable by God and believe his word. Our title of the child of God, we didn't earn it. It was given to us freely. It came out of love. But not only is God's love unconditional, his love puts us in our right standing. That's the second thing that stood out in this verse. Look at that at the end of the verse. It says that we should be called children of God. And then it just says, and so we are. What a declaration. What a statement of fact. There's no confusing. It doesn't say, and so you may be. Well, so you probably are if. There's no if. There's no comma. There's nothing. It's just a statement. And so we are. A declaration of his love putting us in our right standing. First and foremost, a child of God. Well, I know, I know you're going to say, well, you're just cherry picking a verse, you know. One verse, Mike, that says I'm a child of God. One verse. Well, there's, there's a few others, and there's some heavyweights that kind of weigh in on this matter, just as a refresher. So, who else says so? Well, God the Holy Spirit. Kind of a big deal. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. God the Father says so. In Galatians 4.6, it says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And finally, the, God's Word says so. A few places that I found was in Galatians 3.26. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Hebrews 12, 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. I think there's a consistent theme there that is trying to make sure we know who we are. We are a child of God. You know, children, um, I love my children because they're mine, not because something they did. You know, I've got, we've got family and friends that love our kids, that's taking care of our kids, that babysit our kids, taking them places, done all these things, and they love them. They look out for their well-being. But they're my kids. I have a vested interest in their well-being. I'm the father. And I think, I think we need to remember that that is the relationship that our Heavenly Father has for us. Yeah, we're, we're loved by many. We, we do good. We, we get accolades at jobs. We get accolades from other people. 
But first and foremost, God is our Father, and I think He wants us to remember that. First Peter says that we are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. I think it's important that we understand how God views us, is that we are His children. We need to remember that we're not chosen because of how awesome we are. We're chosen because of how awesome God is. We could spend our life trying to be awesome and it wouldn't, it wouldn't get us any closer to God. Jason always says, I'm going to throw this thing in for free. You know, I'm not even going to charge it for that. And as I was studying this, one of the things I thought, you know, what is it? When I understand who I am in Christ, one of the areas that I see it, it changes me and my wife is how we pray. See, we feel comfortable praying for the little things, and we feel comfortable praying for the big things. We kind of we say if God cares about what we care about. God's concerned about what we're concerned about. Now, I will tell you that I've been concerned about getting a Ferrari, and I haven't got it yet. But, so maybe I'm not really concerned about it. But, but God wants to give his kids good things. And so I think you know, one, of the, one of the things that's really changed in my life because of understanding my identity in Christ is the way I pray to my dad. I want my father to know. I mean, he knows anyway, so why don't we just go ahead and spit it out, you know? He knows it anyway. It's good to vocalize it. That's one area of my life that has changed because of my understanding of my identity in Christ. So you might go, well, all right, Mike, I'll walk down that road with you. I'm a child of God. Now what? Well, glad you asked. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I think when you, when you kind of break down verse 3, you look at the and everyone who thus hopes, I think that's pointing back to our identity as being children of God. So verse 3 is talking to you as a child of God. But it goes on to say, if you believe and when you believe, you purify yourself. Or in other words, a child obeys. Maybe another way of saying is that knowing God's love is the lifeblood of an obedient, holy life. Um. Sometimes we get that backwards in our, in our life. We, we try to be right to prove that we love God. Or we try to be right so that God loves us. That's kind of backwards. We're able to love because he first loved us. We're able to love because of our identity of who we are. Um, when I was a kid, I heard this a lot too. Being a preacher's kid, I heard a lot as... You know, act like a Pollard. Anybody ever hear you say, hey, you know, we don't act like that. Our last name, we don't act like that. That's not who we are. 
And I think that's kind of what God, when he looks down at us, I think sometimes he does the old face, palm in the face and go, that's not who you are. You're not that person. You're somebody else. You're my child and my children don't act like that. Now, when when I said that to my kids, I didn't stop loving them. No. I mean, I might have disciplined them. But I didn't stop loving them because they were my child. So what's an obedient, holy life look like? Well, I don't... That's not what my sermon's about today, but I could say you, you could go to the Sermon on the Mount. You could find a lot of examples of what we're to be. Be this, be this, be this, be this, be this. A lot of them. And they're all good. And we should all strive to be meek and to be tender and to be compassionate, to be long-suffering. But I think Jesus kind of took this, and, and I think he says it himself, is that, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Here it is. In John 15, 12, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There's that pesky love word again. It keeps popping up this morning. Again, we're not obedient in order to merit God's love. That's back to front. If you look at the scripture again, look at, look at the order of the scripture. It says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's the empowerment of the love. As I have loved you actually empowers us to love. In the Old Covenant, in the New Testament, the Old Covenant, we obeyed to get. Do this, you get this. Do this, you get this. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant... We obey because we already have. And and what we have is the person of Jesus Christ. We obey because he first loved us. The bottom line is not whether we obey God, but it's whether we trust him. It's impossible. I, I, I think it's impossible to trust God and not obey. I mean, I think we can go through, um, we, can, we can have the list, checking it off, of obeying God. I'm doing all these things. But unless it comes out of a position of trust and love, it's just a balance sheet that we're trying to stack up in our favor. When we, think about, when we think about how much our Heavenly Father loves us, it should empower us to live freely, passionately, generously. Uh, it should be attractional. In other words, people around you should notice something different. They should say, there is something peculiar about that people. When I was when I was studying, trying to understand, and, and it, it really it's hard to understand the breadth of God's love. 
we try and we, man, we put a lot of phrases around and we get catchphrases up. We really try to do it. It's, for me, it's still hard because I want to, I want to have been selected based on my performance, how good I am at this or that or the other, not strictly because he loved me. It's like I got to do something first, right? But I found an old hymn by a gentleman that was written by a gentleman of the name of Frederick Layman. And he penned this classic hymn in the early 1900s. And, oh, I thought it was beautiful. I love classic hymns anyway. I like, I like worship songs. But, you know, the old classic hymns, just some of them just touch my heart in a, in a certain way. Maybe because I was raised around that, too. I can almost sing them all by heart, which is scary. But nevertheless, here's, here's what... Frederick Lehman said about the love of God. He said, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scar... Excuse me, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. Does that resonate a little bit with you of the love of God? Oceans couldn't contain enough ink to be able to write of the love of God. He is your father and he is my father. Yes, I serve him and he is my closest friend. But service and friendship stem from my secure position of a child of God. When you're secure in your relationship with Christ and a rock-solid foundation of God's unconditional love, look, you're not going to earn his love. Just get over it. Stop it. If you're trying to have a relationship with God based on your performance, you're going to fail. Stop. Let his performance at the cross carry you through. If you, if you understand this, you're, you'll be empowered to live your life fully and completely. It won't necessarily be easy, but you'll know who you are. And when you act like somebody you're not, Hopefully the words will come back and say, that's not you. Come over on this side. This is who you are. Finally, last point. I'm not really done. It's just the last point. A child hopes. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Man, I just love the, the, the statement of fact. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Maybe as he is being our father. I see hope in this verse. Look, we, what we will be, we shall be, we shall see him. Maybe, that, maybe our hope should motivate us for right living in the present. Just maybe. Paul says in Romans 8, 16, and 17 that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that when we are children of God, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. There's your promise for being a child. We are children, and if you're children, then you're heirs. In other words, when you become a child of God, you become an heir to all that God owns. All that belongs to God belongs to God is your inheritance. In, in, in the resurrection, everything, everything that exists will be yours. And God will care for you forever. If we understand our hope and our identity in Him, that we are the a child of God, the apple of His eye then our earthly role as a father, as a mother, as a grandparent, pastor, a plumber, a nurse, whatever that title is, we will be secure if we understand who we are in Christ. One of the things that when I came to faith uh, late in life, one of the things that I really wanted to know was, who am I? Who am I? Who am I in Christ? And I was, uh, I had some time on my hands to, to really delve into the scripture and I listened to a lot of commentaries and listened to a lot of authors and preachers and stuff. And I happened across a, a gentleman that, uh, by the name of John Lynch, that gave a compelling statement of who we are. Who we are. And it just resonated with me. And I remember it was on YouTube and I was like, oh, man, this is great. So I'd start YouTube, like, for three words, and then I'd stop, and I'd write them down. And then I'd start it again, three words, and then write them down. And then he wrote a book, and it was all in there. So that was a lot of work. But, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this passage to you. And, and, and if you were in one of my community groups, I'm going to apologize because you're going to hear it again. But it's still good, and I'm not going to really apologize for you hearing it again. But, but I, think, I think it's essential that we define ourselves as radically loved by God. And I think that's what this statement does. Because that is our only true identity. Every other identity is a false identity. Here's what John Lynch says. Remember, on your worst day. I've had a lot of those days where I've said, that's my worst and then tomorrow comes. It's like, nope, take that back. That's my worst. Am I the only one? It says, remember, on your worst day, you really are clean and holy, alive and forgiven, 
You're beautiful. You're acceptable. You're complete. You're spirit indwelled. You're adored. You're chosen, adopted, able, intimately loved, and smiled upon, planned for, protected continually, thought about, not just loved, but liked. You're enjoyed, you're cared for and comforted, you're understood, you're known completely, you're given all mercy and compassion, you're guarded, you're matured, you're bragged on, you're defended, you're valued, you're hugged and caressed and kissed, you're heard, you're honored, you're in unity with, you're favored, you're enough, you're lacking nothing. You're directed and guarded continually. You're never failed. You're waited for. You're anticipated. You're a part of. You belong. You're never, ever alone. You're praised and secure and safe. You're believed. You're appreciated. You're given all grace, all patience. You're at peace with. You're pure and righteous, precious, cried over, grieved over, and strengthened. You're emboldened. You're relaxed with. You're never, ever on trial. You're never frowned at. You're delighted in. You're at rest in. You receive complete access. You're given gifts and given dreams and given new dreams. You're continually healed and nurtured. You're continually sheltered for the, from the full brunt of destructive sin. Your shame is removed, you're carried, you're never mocked, you're never punished, you're partnered with, you're not behind, you're not outside, you're given endless affection, you're forgiven, you're clothed in righteousness, you're a child of God. Oh, when I read those words, my heart leapt. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. I love that. Amen. Fathers, I... I'm sure you came to church today thinking you were going to hear the top 10 things about how to be a better dad. Go Google it. I did. And I actually wrote how to be a good dad. And in 0.41 seconds, I had 182 million hits. Somebody just give me a summary after the service and I'll be good. I mentioned a little bit earlier that my oldest son, Justin, was here today. After forgive me, this is going to be a little hard. But um, we're, we're always glad to have Justin home. He blesses us. Um, Justin was born early at 28 weeks. He's 33 years old. He was born early at 28 weeks, weighed 2 pounds, 5 ounces, spent 5 months in the hospital. Uh, countless surgeries, procedures, doctor's office visits, poking, prodding, everything. He's really had the downside of life thrown at him. Justin's deaf and blind, has cerebral palsy. He's a, he's a happy young man, though. We've always considered it fortunate that we were chosen to be his father. We're blessed. Uh, Justin lives in Lawrence, Kansas. We're blessed to have a Christian family that cares for him and loves him. I cared for him for six years. But what I want to tell you today is that nothing can take away the fact that he's my child. 
See, when he's home, when he's growing up, he had a lot of difficulties, and he still does, and, and we care for him physically. We carry him. We feed him. We bathe him. We do all these things, and it's a joy. But I was, I was reminded again this morning as I was carrying him upstairs to give him a bath, doesn't understand trust and love the concept of that he doesn't get it we've tried to model it but I know that when, when, when I have a hold of him and he grabs hold he's grabbing a hold for a reason and the reason is, is that he knows I'm going to take care of him the funny thing is, is that no matter how hard he holds on to me I hold on tighter I think that's what our Heavenly Father does. He says, hang on, because it's easier when you hang on a little bit to your Father, it's easier for Him to hang on to you, but it doesn't really matter because He's got you. You hold on tight, great, but He's holding on tighter. And I was reminded that this morning as I was carrying Him up was that Justin was in my grip. Just like we're in the grip of God's grace, we sang about it as just like that. We're in God's grip. Justin was in my grip. I think God looks at our life and our walk with him in that way. Hang on, guys. Hang on, because it's going to be easier for me to carry you. But nevertheless, if you let go, I've got you. On your worst day, I've got you. When you think you're unlovable, I got you. When you don't hit the performance standards that you think you have to, I've got you. What I want you to take away from here today is that you are a child of God, the almighty God. He chose you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. That's who you are. A friend of mine sent me a a scripture this morning that I thought was appropriate. It's Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. And it says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? Because of who you are. A child of God. Let this soak into your soul. Don't just let it be head knowledge. Let it become heart knowledge. To where your first instinct is to run to your dad. Not the other way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for being our Father. We thank you for choosing us before the foundation of the earth that you chose us. We thank you for grace and mercy, grace and mercy that's new every morning. And Lord, help us to take our position as your child, take it from the head to the heart to where it affects every day of our life. From the moment we wake up to the time we go to bed, that our identity transforms our life and the lives of people around us. Lord, Help us just to saturate our heart and our soul. 
Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all that you